We're going to be in Luke chapter 17 this morning. Luke 17. If you would turn with me there. Page 876 if you're using the uh, the Pew Bible. I'm going to start reading in verse 20. Uh, and before I read, I just want to give you a little bit of background so that you kind of so we can better understand what exactly it is that's going on here. The day in which Jesus lived was a time of uh, expectation and a time of turmoil. And Jesus' day was one of turmoil, right? Israel, where Jesus lives, uh, is under Roman occupation. And in fact, foreigners had been in control of the land of Israel for over 500 years. Rome is really just the fourth uh, empire that would have dominated and controlled Israel. Uh, And for the Jews, this was unacceptable. Uh, Their understanding of themselves, their understanding of their relationship to God uh, was that um, they 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 should not be ruled by any Gentiles, by any outsiders. And so for them, that situation uh, grieved them deeply. So this was a time of upheaval, it was a time of turmoil, there had already been uh, civil war, there were factions uh, within Israel that that were trying to uh, militarily get the Romans out. Okay, so that's, that's happening. And at the same time, and in, in relationship to that, this was also a time of expectation. Because the Israelites, the Jews, were, were looking for a Messiah. They were looking for this promised person who was supposed to come. They were looking at their, their Bibles, our Old Testament, and they saw all these promises about this king who was going to come. And he was going to break into history and was going to bring God's reign and, and righteous rule uh, into, uh, into Israel. He was going to reestablish his throne in Jerusalem. Um, and it was going to, in short, it was going to make Israel great again. That's what they were. That's what they were hoping for. So this this is a time of intense turmoil and expectation. Uh, Jesus was not the first person uh, that the Jews had kind of rallied around to try to. He, he was not the the first so-called Messiah. Okay. Um, in fact, if anything, Jesus was a little bit different than most in that he wasn't leading an armed rebellion against Rome. <clears throat> and so, uh, as we, as Jesus moves towards Jerusalem, then it makes sense that people are are asking this question about God's kingdom. What's what's going to happen next? And so that's where we that's where we pick up the story uh, in chapter seventeen, verse twenty. Being asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, he answered them, The kingdom of God is not coming in ways that can be observed. Nor will they say, Look, here it is, or there. For behold, the kingdom of God is in the midst of you. And he said to his disciples, The days are coming when you will desire to see one of the days of the Son of Man, and you will not see it. And they will say to you, look there, or look here, don't go out or follow them. For as the lightning flashes and lights up the sky from one side to the other, so will the Son of Man be in His day. But first, He must suffer many things and be rejected by this generation. Just as it was in the days of Noah, so will it be in the days of the Son of Man. 
They were eating and drinking and marrying and being given in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. Likewise, just as it was in the days of Lot, they were eating and drinking, buying and selling, planting and building. But on the day when Lot went out from Sodom, fire and sulfur rained from heaven and destroyed them all. So will it be on the day when the Son of Man is revealed. On that day, let the one who is on the housetop with his goods in the house not come down to take them away. And likewise, let the one who is in the field not turn back. Remember Lot's wife. Whoever seeks to preserve his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life will keep it. I tell you, in that, in that night there will be two in one bed. One will be taken and the other left. There will be two women grinding together. One will be taken and the other left. And they said to him, Where, Lord? He said to them, Where the corpse is, there the vultures will gather. This is God's Word. Let's ask for His help in applying it and understanding it. Let's pray. Father, our minds are always curious about the future. We often wonder what it will be like. And that's not uncommon since we're trapped, uh, fixed in time, as it were. And so, Lord, we, uh, we've always been curious. Uh, Lord, as you, uh, as you address what the future, uh, really even what our present is and what the future will be like, uh, we pray that you would uh, encourage us to greater faith, uh, to trust you, whatever else may come. Would you apply your word to our hearts, unstop our ears, open our eyes, that we may be transformed. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. So the Pharisees asked this question. Uh, when is the kingdom of God coming? Uh, when will the kingdom of God come? But to understand their questions, we kind of need to take a step back and actually define that phrase, kingdom of God. What exactly is the kingdom of God? Now, uh, before we do that, I want you to notice what Jesus does here. Um, first, he answers the Pharisees' question. Uh, and he says something interesting. He says, the kingdom of God is actually already here. The kingdom of God has arrived. It is present now. But then he turns to his disciples and he talks about the future. He tells them some things that are not yet. And so what we've discerned from listening to Jesus, both what he says here and in other places, we learn that this this idea, this thing called the kingdom of God, is both already and not yet. There is, a, there is a present aspect to it, but there is a future aspect to it. Right? The, the, the kingdom has already come in one sense, but it has not yet fully arrived. So we're going to unpack both of those and hopefully talk about why that should matter to us. We're going to unpack both of those. But first, let's talk about what it means that the kingdom has already come. And let's even start that by asking the question, what is the kingdom of God? What in the world are these Pharisees asking Jesus about? Because if we don't understand this, then we really don't understand much else about Jesus. If you've ever read 
any of the Gospels, particularly Matthew, Mark, or Luke, you'll notice that Jesus is talking about the kingdom all the time. In fact, when he comes on the scene, he he says the kingdom is at hand. Repent and believe the good news. He tells parables about the kingdom. He even says in some of the miracles that he does that he is actually bringing the kingdom. That he is the kingdom bringer. So, what is it? And if we were going to just come up with a good, kind of short, working definition, we would say that God's kingdom is his rule or reign. Simple enough. God's kingdom is His rule, uh, His reign. And we might even go on to say that wherever His reign is recognized, that is where the kingdom is. So when, when people acknowledge God as king, there His kingdom has come. So, for instance, when Jesus teaches His disciples the prayer that many of you might be familiar with, what we commonly call the Lord's Prayer, uh, one of the opening prayers is that God would bring His kingdom, that His kingdom would come and that His will would be done uh, on earth as it is in heaven, that that people would begin to understand that God is King. Okay? Uh, And it's this thread, this thread of the kingdom actually unites all of Scripture. Uh, So, for instance, you see at the very beginning in Genesis that God, the Creator King, uh, is reigning over His creation. And then you see at the very end of the Bible, in the book of Revelation, the very end of the book of Revelation, that God the King is once again reigning over the new heavens and the new earth, a new creation. So you have those bookends, and then what you have in the middle is... God's creatures rebelling against His rule. Uh, his first, the first humans challenging His reign. Uh, wanting to establish their own kingdom. We could even say that's, that's another way to describe sin. right? As, as rebellion against the true king. And then the rest of the story of Scripture is how God is bringing His kingdom through this promised, uh, through this promised king. And so, all of that leads up to this expectation that these, uh, that these Jews would have had that God was going to bring His rule to bear. Right? They're looking at their Bibles and they're seeing all of these promises about uh, all of these signs that are going to demonstrate that the King has come, that there's going to be uh, dramatic signs in nature, that a, a king like David will take up the throne in Jerusalem, that all of God's enemies were going to be cast out and destroyed. And that's really what the Pharisees were hoping for. They were looking forward to a day when God's law would be reestablished and all of those ne'er-do-wells, all those Gentiles would be kicked out of the land and it was going to be pure and great and holy once again. And so when they're, when they're, what they're asking Jesus is, when are we going to see that happen? When is that going to take place? And Jesus says, you know, you actually don't have to go hunting for it because it's already here. He says, you don't, you don't have to go searching for the kingdom because it's already present. It's in your midst right now. What's interesting is right before this, uh, Jesus had healed ten lepers, ten people with a skin disease who would have been considered particularly yucky outside, uh, outside of the bounds. Right? And Jesus heals them. And one of them, a Samaritan, comes to Jesus and worships as a result of that healing. And that right there 
should have been indicated enough that the kingdom had come. But they weren't. The, the Pharisees didn't see that. That's what. That wasn't what they were looking for. Why did they miss it? Well, I don't know about you. Have you uh, have you ever uh, misplaced something in your home? Your keys or your phone, and you and you tore the whole house apart. You upended your car. Right? You, you you've looked everywhere. And then as you're making kind of one final pass back through the house and just about to give up, call the boss and say you can't come into work because you can't turn your car on, there they are, sitting on the table. Been there the whole time. right? You, have you ever looked for something so hard but because you were looking in the wrong place, you never found it? That's what the Pharisees were doing. Uh, another expression we use, right, is, is missing the forest for the trees. Being so intently focused on one thing that we actually miss the bigger picture. That's how it is uh, with the Pharisees. They're looking in the wrong places. They're looking for the wrong thing. They've missed all the signs and wonders that Jesus is doing because their understanding of what Jesus is going to do uh, doesn't fit their definition. And so Jesus corrects them. He says, look, the kingdom is right in front of you. If, you, if you'll see it. If you'll see it. People miss the kingdom because it comes in an unexpected way. Jesus in just a few verses will tell his disciples, his followers, that before the kingdom comes in all its fullness, the Son of Man, Jesus, must first be rejected. He must first endure suffering. That was not what they expected. The kingdom comes in unexpected ways. It's possible that they missed the kingdom because Jesus didn't come like a king. He didn't come with pomp and circumstance, wearing a crown of gold, kicking the Romans out. No, He came in weakness and humility. He would wear a crown, but it would be a crown of thorns. The very, the very symbol of Adam's curse, thorns, would pierce and tear Jesus' flesh. Rather than beat the Romans, he would be beaten by them. This is the upside-down nature of Jesus' kingdom. But that was the plan. That was God's purpose all along. This is, how, this is exactly how God brings His kingdom because when, when Jesus comes, He comes not to deal necessarily... Let me clarify. I want, I want to be very clear here. Um, our greatest problems, or maybe I should say our deepest problems, are not political, they're not social, they're not even moral problems. Those are all real issues. Those are all real problems. We do have problems in all of those areas. But all of those are fruit problems. And while Jesus certainly comes to deal with those, He comes to deal with them by dealing with the root problem, which is our separation from God. Jesus comes and brings the kingdom. Yes, He will address those, but first by addressing our relationship with God. Our root problem, our deepest problem is a spiritual one. We are at war with God. We are in rejection of His kingdom and therefore uh, Jesus comes to deal with that. Which really ought to make us ask the question, so why would that be good news? 
Why is it good news? So, so I, just think for a second. If you're a traitor, if you're a rebel, you're you're at war with um, you're you're at war with the powers that be. Okay. Um, Paul says in Romans 5 that we are at war. We are at enmity with God. We're at war with the king. So why would it be good news that the king shows up? I mean, usually... Listen, what what did Great Britain do when a bunch of rabble-rousers in the colonies decided they were going to declare their independence? Did they say, good job, guys. We're real proud of you. You go take that next step towards national independence. No, right? They sent their navy and their troops. They were going to put down that rebellion. That's what kings normally do when you rebel. So it's really interesting that Jesus shows up and He says, Hey, repent and believe. I've got good news. The kingdom is here. Why would that be good news? It's good news because this king has come to bear the rebellion himself. This king has come to take the punishment, right? He doesn't show up to execute. He shows up to be executed, to take the punishment that his enemies deserve. That's how the kingdom comes. And that's how the kingdom grows. Sometimes you'll hear, uh, you'll hear Christians say things like, we've got to build the kingdom. Well, the Bible never says we build the kingdom. God brings the kingdom. God is the one who brings the kingdom. We simply are a part of it. We simply proclaim the word that brings people into the kingdom. But God is the kingdom bringer. He is the one who establishes and grows His kingdom. And so our responsibility in that is to call people to the kingdom, right? To call people to, to tell people that they can be made right with the king because of what he has done. And so Jesus says, even now that's happening. He says to the Pharisees, the kingdom is right in front of you. Don't miss it. And the same would be true for us. Don't miss it. Don't expect... Right, we have the we have this issue where where we think our problems are all sorts of other things, and Jesus says, no, 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 no. The kingdom is the kingdom is in me. Entrance to the kingdom is found in me. Come into the kingdom now through Jesus. So the kingdom is already here, and it is already growing. Even uh, Matthew mentioned in the insert in the bulletin, uh, you hear about how uh, God's kingdom is growing through the world. Right? Christianity, Christianity is unique among the world religions in that it is not situated in one place. It does not belong to one ethnic group. Every other major world religion, let's just take the let's just take the, the the most populous, okay? The next one up, Islam. Islam is primarily geographically and ethnically situated in the Middle East and surrounding areas. Yes, there are people who live in other places who practice Islam, but by and large, Islam goes with the states that acknowledge it. Hinduism, the same. Buddhism, the same. The only international religion is Christianity. Because it's not tied to an earthly kingdom. It's tied to a heavenly one. 
And so people can acknowledge Christ in any country. Every tribe, tongue, language will all, are all a part of God's kingdom. Alright? So we don't, we don't want to miss it. God's kingdom is already present, and yet it has not yet fully arrived. So Jesus turns to his disciples, and he goes ahead and he prepares them. And he does this in other places as well. But he says, listen, there's still more to come. Uh, There's still more to this kingdom. He tells them what to expect in the days ahead before he returns, right? He talks about the Son of Man being revealed, his return. But he says before that, there's a few things that need to happen. The road will be a little bit long. The first thing Jesus says is that uh, the days are coming, verse 22, the days are coming when you will desire to see one of the days of the Son of Man, and you will not see it. The road is long. Jesus' followers will long for Him to return. Do you not feel that at every death? At every sickness. Do you, do you imagine Wade Green uh, in the ICU at UAB right now is longing for the days of the Son of Man's return? Days when a sickness will no longer ravage our bodies. Uh, when it is uh, no longer normal for Christians to be persecuted around the world. But Jesus says, don't be fooled. Don't be fooled by people who say, hey, look, it's over here. Or look, it's over there. Jesus says, you'll see it. It will be as clear as lightning lighting up the sky from one end to the other. You will not miss the kingdom when it comes. You will not miss me when I return. It will be very, very clear for all to see. But that doesn't mean that all will be ready. In fact, he says, it will be a lot like the days of Noah and a lot like the days of Lot. These are Old Testament figures. Uh, These are are Old Testament figures. Uh, They they experienced or they saw God's judgment on the generation around them. You're probably familiar with Noah. And Jesus says, listen, it will be just like in Noah's day. Yep, Noah was a, a few days away from the sea building a boat the size of a stadium. And you know what the rest of his generation was doing? Eating, drinking, marrying, being given in marriage. Life. They were going about life as normal. And they were truly shocked when Noah got in the boat and the rains fell and the floods came. Just similar to the days of Lot. If you don't know the story of Lot, he lived near the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. And God brought judgment against those cities for their wickedness. But before he did, he told Lot to leave. And he says, and yet... The inhabitants of Sodom and Gomorrah, what were they doing? Eating, drinking, building, planting. All, all the things that we normally do. They were going through normal life without any reference to God whatsoever. They were just kind of doing their thing. And they were surprised when Lot left the city and fire rained from heaven. Jesus says it will be the same way. Right? It will be the same way. Don't, don't expect that everybody is going to get on board. Don't expect uh, that there's going to be mass preparation. Uh, Expect that people are going to be going about their daily lives without any reference to God when the Son of Man comes. It will be a sudden return. It will be a surprise to many. 
Now, why does all of that matter? Well, Jesus says one more thing. He says that that proximity to those who are in the kingdom will not rescue you on that day. He says two people can be in the same bed. One will be taken and the other left. He doesn't clarify which one goes where. He just simply says, look, that's a pretty intimate relationship. And yet one will be in the kingdom and one won't. Two women can be working right next to each other. One will be in the kingdom and one won't. So proximity to people in the kingdom does not mean you are in the kingdom. Proximity does not matter. What does? What will prepare one to enter the kingdom? Well, it's identification with the cross of Jesus. Notice he says that before all these things happen, he has to go to the cross. He must suffer and he must die. But it is through the cross that we enter the kingdom. Jesus had to go through the cross for His crown, so also do we. We have to acknowledge that God is King. And we do that by coming to the cross. Now, why does all this talk of God's kingdom matter? Uh, Kevin, all that sounds great. If I'm ever on Jeopardy... I'll make sure to use some of this information. But can you help me out with tomorrow? Why does this matter for tomorrow? Well, this matters because um, right now, in between this already and not yet, we, we live between two worlds. And, and we have a tendency to get our citizenship confused. We have a tendency to lose sight of what's most important. And so for some of us that means uh, that we need to heed these warnings. We need to heed these warnings that, that Jesus is coming back. Jesus is returning. And we don't need to go through the motions of every day as if it will always be this way and the King will never return. It's been a long time. But the king is returning. And when he does, the time to make peace with the king is now. On the day that he returns, it will be too late. So some of us may need to heed the warnings. Others of us, we need to remember Lot's wife. Again, if you know the story, Lot and his family are fleeing uh, the judgment behind them. And they are told by God not to look back. But Lot's wife looked back and immediately was turned into a pillar of salt. J.C. Ryle says this, he says, She had left her heart behind her. She looked back because she had left her heart behind her. Where is your heart? Again, we live between two worlds. It's very easy to get caught up in what we see. It's very easy to kind of fall in love with this present age, with this present kingdom, and for our hearts to be here. And so when the day comes, we, we may long for this kingdom more than the next. And so we are, Jesus told, tells us to remember Lot's wife. We would not lose sight of what really matters most. There's one more thing about this whole citizenship in two worlds. You may, have, uh, you may have seen or been familiar with the story of Wang Yi. He is the pastor of Early Rain Covenant Church in China. He was... He and a number of people in his church, including his wife, uh, were arrested last year in December, December of 2018. 
Uh, and while many people have been released, uh, he was not. Uh, and just a few weeks ago, the Chinese government delivered sentence that he would spend nine years in prison and pay a hefty fine. Uh, the charge subverting... Uh, government power. He was uh, he was basically labeled as as a rebel, as a troublemaker, uh, because of what he believed about God's kingdom versus the kingdom of man. He challenged the kingdom. He challenged the earthly kingdom in which he lived, and boldly and proudly said that he was a member of one. Whatever may come from the other, I wonder: Do we have that sort of boldness? Wang Yi was not confused, is not confused about his citizenship. He knows to whom he belongs. And he is glad to challenge the earthly rulers when they come against, uh, when they come against his Lord. I wonder, do we have that same boldness? Now you might think that Jesus is saying, it's time to be better. It's time to be righteous. But I want you to notice in the two examples that Jesus uses, Noah and Lot, neither one of those men were particularly righteous. In fact, if you read Lot's story, I mean, Noah's story is kind of seedy anyway, uh, but if you read Lot's story, there's something wrong, okay? Um, Jesus is not saying, be like these men. Jesus is saying, Cling to the one who can rescue you. Right? Noah was saved not because he was a righteous man, though he was. Noah was saved because he got on the boat. Lot was certainly not saved because he was perfect and blameless in his... In fact, if you read Lot's story, you'll see that he kind of he kind of quibbled whether or not he needed to leave Sodom. He kind of wanted to stay. But he left... He got out. He heeded the warning. Well, the same is true for us. Jesus is calling us to get on the boat, to trust in the King who has come and has given His life so that when He comes back, we will be found with Him. Let's pray. Father, I pray that we would heed the warnings, Jesus' warnings about the coming days. That we would remember that we are, if we are in Christ, we are citizens of your kingdom. That you have brought us into your kingdom, out of the kingdom of darkness. That the powers and authorities of this age, of this world, have no claim on us. And even though they they may come against us, yet our lot is with you. Our hope is in You. It is not in ourselves. It is in You. Holy Spirit, would You help us, enable us to live in this already and not yet period, this time between two worlds. Give us the grace necessary to bear witness to the King. And we pray it in His name. Amen. Let's stand and as we sing, uh, give our gifts uh, in response and worship to God.